Hey everyone, it's Siona and you're listening to Owner Stories on WRIR 97.3. This is going to be a weird episode. Well, maybe not weird, but definitely unusual. Mostly because it's about me and I'm a pretty private person. Which I know is ironic since Owner Stories is about getting into the complications of the personal and larger society. But we're all walking contradictions sometimes. At least I think we all are. Anyways, getting back to me being private. Some comments I usually get from people are something like, You're always so busy. Or, Siona, where have you been? You've been a ghost for a minute. Or something about my like perceived resilience and my ability to work hard and do things. I'm private for a lot of reasons. In part, it's because of the culture I was raised in. Everyone is private, to a fault, if I'm being honest. And I try to avoid that extreme sense of secrecy around everything. But it is a practice that does impact how I trust and share with the world. On the other hand, American culture is just so open about everything that I'm always trying to find that balance between being extremely secretive and extremely private. Neither one quite feels right. I think another part of my privacy is that I'm really resistant to people trying to assume or clock what I do. And like, I get annoyed and I find it very exhausting when people are always on their phones, always on social media, posting every single thing. Like, it's weird to me. I don't know. But beyond just the conversation of social media, the reality is my tendency to try and stay private, my tendency to be really busy all the time, to be very productive, my avoidance really of being in places for too long or being associated with any place for too long is, well, it's a coping mechanism. It's a way for me to kind of distance myself from people so no one can really call me out and hold me accountable about my mental health. And again, this is very ironic because I'm also a very social person. Like, I am very good at bringing strangers together to have hard conversations. I'm really good at bringing people together who maybe don't know each other and having them talk to each other like they're longtime homies. I want people to move past the discomfort of those hard conversations so they can find community. I believe in that very strongly, yet I don't give myself the same experience, almost like an internal shame, almost like I don't think I'm worthy of giving myself space to be totally vulnerable. Again, we're all walking contradictions. Depression comes in so many forms. For me, it manifests in me hustling all the time and at all times. And because I'm a Black woman living in a capitalist society, I'm told I'm strong, resilient, that I'll push through this. And in the same breath, the coping mechanisms of my depression are rewarded because it just so happens I'm quote-unquote high-functioning. I don't just do my work, I aim for a ridiculous level of perfection. Yet, I tend to always feel like I'm drowning. It's a feeling that's so familiar to me. It's been around for a very, very long time, and it's taken me an equally long time to not feel shame about these feelings. To call them depression and not feel disgusted by it. I don't judge people for their mental health. I believe we need to be more compassionate towards each other and hold space for each other. Yet again, I don't believe I deserve that same space or that same compassion. And in 2019, my depression hit a new boiling point. My longtime coping mechanisms weren't working. 
I felt like I was failing in my personal life and for the first time in my work life. I was doing an internship at a fancy podcast, one I really loved, but I was unraveling, barely able to get through my day, let alone perform at my usual high levels. And for real, for real, I did not care, like at all. I just did not have the energy. My normal dark cloud, you know, that phrase that people always use to reference a dark mental space. Well, it was enveloping me in a literal sea of misery. It was a moment of being forced to confront my depression head on, to address a trauma I had yet to unpack. Hell, it meant finding out about trauma I never even realized I had. And I couldn't blame my family's hesitancy around issues of mental health anymore. I was in my 20s. I had the agency to address it. So I did. And it was really grueling work. And I had to do a lot of it without the help of a medical professional. I did have to rely a lot on my community. And it did take majority of the year. But I was able eventually to enter the year of 2020, almost a year after deciding I wanted to handle my depression and other mental health issues strong. And when the pandemic hit, I was really grateful I had been able to focus on my mental health the year before. Because, and I do not say this lightly, if I hadn't taken time to address my mental health in 2019, I would not have in any way, shape, or form survived 2020. I would not be here talking. But fast forward to top of 2021, and I was back in high-functioning mode. I didn't realize it until maybe a few weeks ago, because it felt like the depression had outsmarted me. Like, okay, imagine this. Once you find a way to cope with it, it can manifest in a totally different way than you predicted. And even your own feelings and reactions to a similar pattern, those can be different too. And it was very disheartening and a bit disorienting. But unlike the past, I did get on top of this right away. I've been looking into affordable therapy sources, and I found a therapist that would fit my need for a long-term period, and I'm creating a long-term game plan with them. And even though in this moment, I'm a little stressed that I'm having to do this work all over again, I have to say I'm really proud of myself for this growth. It's a type of growth I didn't even conceptualize in the past. Like me talking about my mental health and just trusting my gut to talk about it, going off script literally, I would never have done this even a year ago. But here's one thing that has really, really thrown me off. My high-functioning depression in the past was always a fuel for my creativity. It was how my ideas kept flowing and how I was able to create something in my head and then execute it in real life whether it was a story, whether it was an idea, whether it was a project. But that isn't the case anymore. Depression does not fuel my creativity. It blocks it. It might seem like a subtle shift to some people, but it's a really big one for me. And it kind of made me wonder, how have people around me seen my depression shift? Do they know when I'm off? Do I mask my feelings so well that they don't notice it? I mean, after all, that is my goal. Is it something they even think about? Do they notice how my creativity has ebbed and flowed my depression? I don't know. I'm just kind of curious. Like mental health by and large can feel so isolating and in your head. And when you go on social media, people make it seem like it's a quick self-care thing, you know? But it's really confusing. It can be very dark. So I want to know, like, what do the people who I care about think about this? So I asked Michael. I also spoke to some people about how their relationship with depression has changed. Has their creativity been impacted? Is that good or bad? Are there other things about them that are changing? I'll be featuring one of those conversations in this episode as well. And then I'll end with a note on how my mental health journey is impacting my relationship with my favorite venture, a radio show called Own Your Stories. Um, yes, I'm recording too. How are you? I'm good. How are you? 
Um, I'm here. I'm alive. Yeah, I feel that. I hear that. Okay, so this episode is about mental health. As it happens, I decided I want to do a mental health episode, not realizing that it's Mental Health Awareness Month. Like, it just kind of worked out. But I wanted to do this episode because I have always struggled with depression. I'm not secretive about it, but I think, like, I have internalized the shame that comes with, like, mental health, even though I don't judge other people for being open about it. So now... I'm just at the point of being like, hmm, how can I learn to navigate my anxiety and depression? And I'm realizing it just, like, oftentimes it's smarter than me. Like, I'm always trying to keep up with how it always, like, I'll find, like, five tactics. And within, like, Mm. six, seven months, those tactics do not work anymore because, like, depression just, like, always outsmarts me. Um, So, Mm. yeah, that's kind of the basis of this episode. Got you. Wow. That's, I've never heard somebody put it like that. That depression always outsmarts me. Always. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know if that's true for other people. I know for me, at least it is. I'm like, dang, like I, cause it's, I'll, I'll be like, oh, this isn't working anymore. And I'm like, okay, it's just, it's, it really is like a lifelong thing. Right. The reason I specifically want to talk to you about this, Michael, was because I feel like, you know, I've known you for like well over a decade now and you've seen a variety of like my lows and highs and I'm curious to know, as, like, an outsider looking in, how have you seen, like, have you noticed I'm in depressive mood? Or have or have you, like, have you seen the shifts that happen when I'm in those spaces? Um, I, I think earlier, I think earlier on in our friendship, it's not something I really was able to just identify. Um, but I think in recent years, especially... I think you've always been good at disguising depression as being busy. Not saying you aren't or weren't busy, but I think you've always been good at saying, oh, I've just been busy. I've just had a lot of things going on, which is true. A lot of those things will amplify or accompany your depression. And I think over the past few years, I've identified that a little bit more. Um, And I also think that you've always portrayed yourself as like a very self-sufficient person. And so... A lot of times I would trust, I'm like, okay, I think she's got this. Like, you know, obviously you have my support and my love at any moment that you need. Um, But then I'll find out later that, like, you were actually really struggling, but it's not something that I was necessarily aware of in those moments. And it sounds like other people weren't always aware of those moments either. So I don't know if it was just, like, a me thing, not noticing, or if it was, like, a you kind of... um, like you said, like hiding it and functioning with it because of stigma. But I think you've definitely become more open with it over the years, especially. You talk about it more candidly now, and you also talk about how it affects you. And even you saying it outsmarts you. I can't imagine you saying that a few years ago. Hmm. No, that's a good point. I feel like, yeah, no, you're right. I feel like I am. I... I do strongly identify my personality as being self-sufficient and being able to get everything done and like not need anyone's help that eventually. And it's weird because I think the reason I've been able to really avoid dealing with like mental health is because we live in a society that rewards people like me, people who are very, very high functioning when we're stressed. So like, right. Like, you know, cause depression has so many different types of manifestations and I just happen to be one of those people who's very high functioning, very self-sufficient, or at least 
navigates my like depressive modes that way and you I get rewarded for it that's the most crazy part like I will so there's really you're right I definitely would not a few years ago said something like oh my depression outsmarts me because I would have been like yeah but my depression also is like why I'm able to get a lot of things done and be quote-unquote valuable in our like society which is really weird when I think about it right and then like in retrospect I think I knew when it was, like, really severe when you would come to me about, like, specific situations. Like, I don't think you've really come to me about just, like, the general depression. But you would come to me about specific situations. And the your depression would be manifesting in those situations. But it was also easy to think of it only situationally rather than just this omnipresent depression, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does make sense. It does make sense. Yeah, no, that's actually a good point. I didn't realize that I did that. Um, yeah, you're right. I didn't even realize that I, I do that pretty often, especially, I think, up until maybe a year ago, I feel like, because I feel like the pandemic, it just shifted so many things around. Um, but yeah, that's why I wanted to have these conversations, because I was like, I can talk to therapists, and therapists are really helpful. And if you're listening to this, y'all, go to therapy if you can afford it. There's different resources, which I will link in the episode notes. Um, that make it affordable but yeah it's interesting to hear how like your friends see you navigate it and like they see in their relationship with your mental health you know as people who like care about you but you know like you said don't really fully know what exactly is going on and you yeah no that's 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 a good point i just had a revelation revelation i also think that like i don't personally struggle with depression I struggle more with anxiety and it's not even like really severe, I would say. So it's also something that unless I have depression, I will never fully understand. And and maybe I've never told you this, but I've always kind of felt like, well, not always, but sometimes I felt like you kind of approach it as, well, this person's not going to understand it because they don't struggle with depression. So I'm not going to talk to them. Maybe that's fact. Maybe that's actually how you approached it. Or maybe that's just how I received it. But that's kind of how I how I receive it sometimes. That like, oh, you know, Michael doesn't really struggle with depression in this way. So he's not really going to get it, you know. Um, and And again, I don't know if that's maybe just me receiving it and projecting or if that's actually your mindset. But that's kind of how I've read it. I have <laughs> I have a lot of friends who are depressed. There's a lot of depressed people in this world. And even the even if say that again that was not funny but the way you said it just really threw me off sorry (laughs) no 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 it's not it's not funny but it's like unfortunately we're a really depressed and anxious nation and even people with depression it's such a personal thing like your depression can look so different from somebody else so there is a baseline level of understanding but that doesn't mean like depressed people are going to support depressed people necessarily you know or are able to in in the ways that we might that yeah i'm like going on a tangent now i guess what i'm saying is that depression is so intimate and so personal for everybody with depression that nobody's ever going to fully 100% understand it and that's a tough reckoning for your friends and your family to be honest no matter how much we want to understand it I'm never going to fully know what's going on in your brain. Again, I'm kind of going on a tangent now. But I think you're also really smart about identifying, like, what people in your life can each give you and what you can give them. 
I think you're really in tune with like, here's what Michael has to offer. And here's what, you know, I might go to somebody else for. And maybe that's reflective of the friendship, but I, I, I've noticed that about you. Interesting. Well, it's actually funny that you were like, that your assumption was like, oh, Michael does understand depression. I honestly just assume, so this is my mind. I'm like, oh, everyone has depression. Just like some people are better at handling than others. I guess I'm wrong about that. I forget that not everyone has depression. Like a lot of people do, but not everyone has it. And I think like subconsciously I was like, what can people, how can people support me and what skills do they have? But also it's kind of like, it just gets exhausting to talk about at some point. Like, I think I have some friends who I know really navigate depression as well, but their depression is so different from mine that like, I cannot support them. And I also, I don't understand them. Like I genuinely, they'll they'll tell me these experiences I have. And I'm like, I cannot support you how you want because my depression doesn't manifest that way. I do have different friend groups and different people for different reasons, but I've also realized a tactic I've started to do over the years and I, I didn't realize the tactic is like it's easy to avoid intense accountability for like your own mental health if you are around a huge group of people who don't all know each other like that's another thing I realize I tend to do like it's it's easy to have different sides of personality show and not have you know like a core I mean I have like core groups of friends but like a core group of friends who can really be like we've seen you go through these things because I'm so like fragmented between different groups. And that's part of like why I love community stuff because I feel like in these different groups, I do show up as my whole self to those spaces, but with the asterisks of like, what can I actually expect in return from like, from this friendship or this dynamic. Um, And also I think part of it's also like a guilt thing of like, Oh, I don't want to burden anybody. Yeah. You do have that. (laughs) You do have that. And, and, I'm just like, no, girl, (laughs) you're not a burden at all. And honestly, you saying the friend thing is elaborating on the friend point is really interesting because I can really think of one person that has reached out and been like, hey, Siona's not in a good place. And we, you know, would identify that and kind of tackle that on a few occasions. But I can't imagine me reaching out to the majority of your friends and being like, hey, what's going on with Siona? Or them reaching out to me and be like, hey, what's going on to Siona? Because we don't have that rapport with each other. So in a way, it's almost like, do I trust them with Siona's mental health? Do I, do they know what's going on with her? And this one person that, that I've reached out to before and has reached out to me about you, like, we've known you for years. We've known you for over a decade. And that's probably the only person that I can think of that has been like, hey, Siona's not in a good place right now. That is so interesting. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating the ways that we create like, well, because now that I'm like 26, I think now I'm in a space where I'm like, oh, I see these habits. I want to address them. But like 10 years ago, those were things I would create for myself so I could avoid like, yeah, so I could avoid people coming up to me and being like, hey, what's wrong? Because I was like, I don't right. like answering that, which I guess was fine when I was a teenager. Right. But now at like 26, I'm like, this is an exhausting way to live and I'm really over it. But like going right. back to that point of like, um how depression can sometimes outsmart me. Like, now I've realized that I've also been able to to develop the skills needed to avoid, like, very deep, concerning, depressive episodes. Like, where I was two, three years ago, even two years ago, I don't see how I get back to that space again. I wouldn't... I don't see how I get back into that space again unless something 
genuinely tragic happened, which knock on wood, mm-hmm. it won't. Um, got wood right here. Um, yeah, like now it's more so I've also been able to keep up with how it develops and like matures with me. So now I'm at the point where I was like, instead of me trying to avoid it and like run around it, let me just address it head on, <laughs> aka this episode. Let me just like openly be like, this is depression and I'm trying right. to figure it out. Right. I mean, I, I, I think that comes with maturity and age. And, and I've definitely, you've opened up a lot more over the past two to three years specifically about your own struggles with mental health and speaking about it more candidly, both like privately with me and your friends and also just publicly, like inch by inch, step by step. And the fact that you're doing this episode, I think, is a testament to where you are at in this current moment. Yeah, thank you. I hope someone listens to it and is like, okay, I can be more open. Um, what is advice you'd have for someone who wants to support someone else who does struggle with uh, depression? Also, before you answer that, I want to add asterisks here. Y'all, mental health is a very expansive thing. Sometimes I feel, I feel like people on social media try to make mental health digestible and easy to understand. Mental health is something where like it can be a variety of things and very intense and very uncomfortable and they everyone deserves sympathy for it sorry that's a tangent i just had to say before i was done but back to the question you are someone who supports many depressive people and people who struggle with depression among other mental health and you struggle with anxiety to an extent what's advice you give to a friend who is similar to you who doesn't have depression but wants to support okay i should con- i should add it. context i've all of my close friends i've had for at least five years so i've really learned over the years how to support them in, in their own unique ways. And that's always going to be a process. Uh, what, what you need right now, Siona, might not be what you need in five years. And same with me. But I've always found that just actively listening and asking questions. Don't assume you know what's going on. Don't assume this person wants advice in this moment. Don't assume they want you to be quiet. Ask questions. What do you need from me? Do you want me to listen to you or do you want me to give you advice? Do you want me to give you perspective or do you just want to vent? You know, do you need food today or are you good? It really questions I have found across the board, no matter the person, is key to figuring out what, because a lot of times when we're dealing with mental health struggles, we don't always know what we need or want in those moments. And somebody trying to tease that out, I have found has been really successful in, in supporting my friends to the best of my ability. Because I also tend to take a like, I want to give them space, I want to leave them alone. And a lot of times that can be misinterpreted as a lack of support. And I have found that just questions really helps. And you don't have to badger people, you don't have to keep asking questions, you kind of can identify when, when to stop. But questions, questions, questions. Yeah, so my name is Basul. Um, I'm uh, I, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm a Palestinian Canadian Muslim woman. <laughs> Batul and I talked about a lot of things, but I really wanted to know how her relationship with depression changed, the good and the bad. 
this past December, like in December 2020, I started antidepressants on December 24th. Mm -hmm. And before that, I'd like struggled with depression for years and just like not gotten any help and like barely got through university. And then like my mom, like kind of like was like, you know, like, let's let's go to the doctor this time and stuff. And so I went and got put on antidepressants and like my whole like life changed. Like literally, I will not shut up about antidepressants since then. Because, like, it's it's crazy because, like, my, like, so much of what I hated about, like, myself and my life, like, I'm now right. realizing was literally depression. And, like, I, like, you you know, like, there's, like, the high-functioning depressive people who, like, you know, like you said, like, you get so yeah. much done and it pushes you to do things. I was not that. I was, like barely like I could barely function you know so mm-hmm. and I was like and I always like had all these ideas and dreams and thoughts and and like you know I thought oh like I have like so much potential but I'm, I can never achieve it and now it's like I get the chance like I, I'm slowly like working on like some of those goals and dreams that I've had for so long that I never like was able to actually like do anything about yeah it's like yeah it's been amazing oh, beautiful but like I, I, oh, continue, sorry. no sorry I just wanted like because you were saying like you know what are like the triumphs and the struggles it's like um now like I still do get sad or down sometimes mm-hmm. um but I feel like way more able to like deal with it and like I know like I I talked to a psychiatrist and she was like oh I think you need to be like on meds for a little bit and I like for a couple of years or at least and I mm-hmm. like kind of feel the same way because I feel like I don't have good coping skills right now like I'm, I have to re like work on all of that right now because even like when I'm stressed out from work like I get very like triggered I guess like I I end up like doing the same things of like going straight into my bed after work and like laying down the whole evening and stuff but I'm like mm-hmm. slowly trying to like work on it yeah I mean it's like well first off congrats that's a huge shift thank you for that I, I'm sure like experiencing that within the span of like five months is like affirming I would guess and I, I don't put words in your mouth yeah like, right yeah yeah it's been it's so cool like it's literally like I, I'm just like so much ha- like I'm so happy like I I have hope for like myself and for like life you know yeah and and your mom is the one who <laughs> suggested it so yeah um, like how was that I'm guessing she's an immigrant yeah we I was born I'm Palestinian um I was born in Syria and mm-hmm. then my family came as refugees to Canada when I was eight um mm-hmm. we came from America from when I was four and yeah like my mom like my mom like has always been concerned for my mental health but like she like we talk about it now and like I saw her like oh like you know like this is how I used to feel like I used to feel hopeless I feel I used to feel like I deserve to be sad and and upset and like whatever and she's like that's like crazy she's like I, I didn't know what was going on like I just saw you always in your room like you wouldn't do anything like you you wouldn't like you know like I would ask you to do something you wouldn't do it like and I didn't like she's like I didn't understand what was wrong but like now we're talking about it as like but yeah like I because I had told her before like this year that I had like depression I like I was like oh I think I'm depressed like I kind of broached it first from the seasonal depression route because I was like that's like a little easier to to in like convince and like explain because I was like because we live in like in Canada and so the winter is like very long and really short days and so it does really affect you I was like, oh, like, I think it's seasonal depression and, um, you know, like, because of lack of vitamin D. And so she was like, oh, you know, like that, like vitamin D pills and whatever. And then like, and, and since I finished university, like I've been doing a lot better because I'm, it's not like all those stressful triggers are like not as, uh, as frequent, but then like work was getting really stressful and there was like some family situations that were really stressful. And so that triggered like a huge, like depressive episode again, um, in December. And so that's when she was like, she was like, 
like you need like you need like um you need treatment like you need you need help and I think she's been like she's like I admire my mom because she's like doesn't stop learning like she's not one of those people that gets stuck in her ways and like the knowledge that she used to have like she's constantly learning she picks up new hobbies she like looks up like videos online of like whatever she's interested in so yeah like it just like she's just like like without her support I don't even know if I don't think I would have gone I think I would have just kept kept just dealing and just like just barely surviving Batul's story made me really happy. To hear that she had such a positive shift after getting help was kind of exactly what I needed to hear. And I think it's a reminder for a lot of us women of color and immigrants or children of immigrants that sometimes our families can in fact support us once they have the knowledge of what we need. There's a stereotype that all non-white families are working against us in our mental health journeys, but sometimes it truly is an educational gap. And not all our families are like that. And that can be really hopeful and less isolating for many people. Like I said during my conversation with Michael, I didn't realize May was Mental Health Awareness Month. In fact, I had a totally different slate of episodes for this month lined up. Episodes in line with our season two theme of home. But I'll be honest, doing owner stories at this moment has been extremely hard for me. And I just kind of felt stuck with owner stories. Like I was shying away from the topic I really wanted to talk about, which is, well, this episode, an episode about my mental health, because I said I was going to do a very specific thing, aka a season about home. I was putting myself in a box trying to control myself, and that was a tactic that might have worked in the past for me, but does not work anymore. I found owner stories in the midst of a depressive episode, one of my worst, and it worked for years because depression was my creative fuel and outlet. And as I focus on handling my mental health in a healthy way, I'm having to find new ways to fuel my creative interest and new ways to express them as well. Basically, right now in this moment, I'm at a crossroads with owner stories. I know I want it to continue and that I will be continuing it, but I'm trying to figure out what exactly that continuation looks like. And I'm going to be taking some time to figure that out. And I hope that listeners will be open to the different iterations that might take. More importantly, I want anyone listening to this episode to feel a little more comfortable talking about their mental health. The thing about having any sort of mental health issue is you don't believe you're worthy of the same grace you give to other people. And I think many people can relate to that, even if they don't identify with having a mental health issue or disorder. So I hope you listen to this, give yourself grace, and practice the power of centering yourself and your story, even if it is very uncomfortable. I'll have some resources in the show notes when I upload this episode, and I will be back in a few weeks. Again, you're listening to Own Your Stories on WRIR 97.3, and I'm Siona Petros.